0: Dum, dum, dun, dun, dum, dun, dum, dun, Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi everyone, and thank you all for tuning in today to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Monday, August 8, 2016 edition. I was on a little bit of a hiatus in July, and it is so good to be back on air. I am back to my regular schedule now. That's Monday to Friday weekdays at 6pm Eastern Time right here on WINB. And of course, do sign up for my podcast or get the customized app for smartphones. All that information is there on the listen tab at weekendvigilante.com. Our Android app was denied for content issues. So My web company is trying to work through that. We don't know what the issue is, but we're hoping to have that resolved by the end of the week to have that Android app available. I really apologize. That is taking longer than we thought. But again, we're working through it. I want to thank everyone again for contributing to the fundraiser I had in July. I want to remind people that ongoing financial support has been an issue, and I need to remind people that this broadcast is 100% listener funded. And I would appreciate your monthly support to make sure there's not another interruption in this broadcast. So please become a partner today of this ministry. You can go to the donate tab on the website. And there are numerous ways to donate there. And I believe the Lord will handle this. There is no lack in God's kingdom. But God also depends on you guys to get behind ministries that are doing his work. So i hope you will seriously consider becoming a partner today pray about it please i thank you in advance for that well power prayers is set for release this month we had a couple of glitches not surprising in the final copy edit but we're expecting it out next week we hope to be on schedule we are a little bit behind but i am confident it'll be out very soon please if you have not pre-ordered your copy secure it today don't wait for it to be on back order. So please go to my website, weekendvigilante.com, and you'll see the book cover. Click on that. Get yours today. And lastly, I put together a free ebook called Colloquialisms. It's a compilation of Steve Quayle's one of a kind phrases, things he's coined over the years in celebration of his 25 years on air. So get your free copy today by simply going to my website. And signing up for my free e-newsletter, there's a little button there that says Sheila's Newsletter. You simply submit your email there, subscribe, and you will get a copy of that, Colloquialisms in Celebration of 25 Years on the Air. That's amazing. And if you already are a subscriber to my free e-newsletter, well, then your copy should have went out today today. Be watching for that and just check your junk mail folder as well. So again, be watching for that and do give a shout out to Steve Quayle at stevequayle.com and tell him how much you appreciate his 25-year dedication to being on the air. Well, I want to jump right into the program. My guest today, it's the first time I've had him on. It is Doug Perry from fellowshipofthemartyrs.com. It is my pleasure to welcome him to the program. Doug Perry, it's great to have you on for the first time. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Sheila.
0: Doug, do tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your ministry.
1: Um, Doug Perry, let's see, I run a ministry. The main web presence is Fellowship of the Martyrs, and that's kind of a place to talk about what the church ought to be. The koinonia of the martyrs and Greek, those the, the comradeship of those who will not change their testimony no matter what and are dying to self daily, that is what the church ought to be, not fellowship of the comfy pews and nice sound systems. And uh, on the website there, we have eight books that I've written about how the institutional church needs to be different, what God's model is, how to hear God better, spiritual warfare, all kinds of stuff there about that. Now, I also run a ministry called Liberty Disaster Relief. We're in Liberty, Missouri just outside of kansas city and for the last 10 years we've had homeless shelters and a food pantry and thrift store and uh just doing everything we can to help people in need that are falling through the cracks we're not a a shelter where they come in at night and we give them a bunk bed in a room with you know 200 other hard cases we actually just started renting houses and inviting them into our homes and uh have ranged anywhere from 30 to 60 at a time. Sometimes a single mom with a baby, that boyfriend kicked her out, sometimes hard cases under bridges. More and more in the last few years, it's become more of a Christian community. And uh, we're actually living out a book of Acts, kind of church daily and from house to house. The newest thing is a year ago, God bought us a farm. And uh, we have 70 beautiful wooded acres with a 20-acre cave underneath that the Lord is having us prepare as a refuge and a a retreat center and a place for people to come and get prayer, get deliverance, and uh, learn about sustainable farming and all kinds of stuff for self-sufficiency. So we have goats and rabbits and pigs and quail and geese and ducks and chickens and all kinds of stuff, uh, fish and lots of neat stuff on the farm as well. So... That's sort of me. I was a successful businessman, award-winning, glossy magazine, corporate guy for a while, and uh, the Lord got a hold of me, gave me a vision of how bad things are, and uh, how angry he is with the church, and it wrecked my life. I sold everything, gave it to the poor, and have been entirely dependent on him ever since for the last, uh, well, since 2004, so 12 years or so. I'm not bragging about being a successful businessman. Nobody should take pride in the lie when they let go of that to grab a hold of the truth.
0: Yeah, I can attest to that. I used to tell people, gee, I have more degrees than a thermometer. But while I was climbing (laughs) the ladder of success, I had my ladder leaning on the wrong building, Doug. So I know how that is when God gets a hold of you. Now, you've got an incredible book that I was very compelled by this topic. And I know that it's really something you don't hear in any forums or churches. And it's the Red Dragon. Now, it's really interesting. It's a compendium of the horrifying reality of something that the church is just asleep at the wheel about. So get into that and tell folks a little bit about this book you wrote, The Red Dragon, and what it's about, what is The Red Dragon, and how it's affecting the church.
1: Sure. Well, if I could, let me, let me start back with the vision that the Lord gave me of, of where we are that really started this ride. Uh, I had a furniture store, and we'd been having some prayer meetings and Bible studies at my furniture store a couple nights a week with my Baptist friends. And we were praying for this, like, you know, tongues of fire to land on us, kind of Pentecostal, whatever, but none of us know how to do that. And uh, I started writing about the business side of church and what was wrong with the church from a business perspective. If we really were one, most cities, if you sold all the churches in town to uh, the Pentagon or Bill Gates, they would close 80% of them, consolidate them, sell the buildings, pay off the debt and get them on purpose and uh, sell all the extra copy machines, all the extra buses, all the extra whatever, eliminate personnel. and But you can't do that because we speak in tongues and you don't and we think instruments are from the devil and you know it's, it's just insane. We have over 40,000 denominations now. We open a new one every 48 hours. I was writing some about what was wrong for, with the church from a business perspective, and it, and it it really is crazy. We we spend corporately across all of Christianity sixteen billion on foreign missions, and we spend eight billion going to conferences to talk about how to spend the sixteen billion. No sales force could ever survive that. <laughs> you know, we lose almost as much in fraud from people inside the organization as we spend on foreign missions, which is about five percent mostly unreported. We spend 96% of all the money on Christians that are already Christians, while the the third of the world that's never once heard the name of Jesus, we spend less than 1%. It's insane. Anyway, so I was writing some about that kind of stuff, and um, somebody sent me an email said, hey, there's this guy in Kansas City that's a revivalist from New Zealand that kind of sounds like what you're saying. You might want to meet him. And I'd never got an email from this person before or after, for all I know, it came right from God's computer. So I I reached out to this guy, looked at his website, he's calling for these John the Baptist guys to rise up that'll pucker the wallpaper and never be invited back and say the hard (laughs) things that need to be said. And I sent him an email. I said, Hey, I think I might be one of these guys. You know, I, I was called to the ministry when I was 16. My dad was a pastor. I was a missionary kid, but then I went to the Southern Baptist convention, when I was a freshman in college to represent the college and it was so disgustingly political and ugly. I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. So at that point, the Southern Baptist broke off of me and I knew the machine was wrong and I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't fit in the machine. So I graduated college with a religion degree and a psych degree, went into the business world. I later worked in higher education, got a master's degree and other stuff. But uh, ran my own businesses of different kinds, but I, I knew that I was running from God and I knew that he'd called me when I was 16. Anyway, so I met this guy from New Zealand and, uh, we went to a Chinese buffet and we talked for a while and he said, I like what you're saying. And I know God's got his hand on you. I think what you're missing is the baptism of the Holy spirit. I said, I've had the Holy spirit since I was six years old. Thank you very much. <laughs> he said, uh, I- I'm not talking about the redemption of the Holy spirit. I'm talking about the empowering of the Holy spirit you know, whatever happened to Peter between being confronted by a barmaid and, and denying Christ three times and then his shadow healing people, right you know, and I'm like, okay, my dad was a missionary in a foreign country, a third world country. He never denied the gifts. he He's not a cessationist, but to stay out of trouble, he never preached on the book of Acts at all. So I believed that God talked to people. There was times I'd heard him kind of nudge me this way and that, and I had lunch with this guy. He said, why don't you come down next week? We're having a meeting at a home group, and we'll pray for you and lay hands on you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he gave me a little book by A.W. Tozer about, uh, about the Holy Spirit. And so I went home and did what I did and, and dug into the Bible, read everything I could, and decided, you know what? Yeah, there's something there, and I missed it, and I don't know how to get it. And if these guys can help me get there, I want it. So it was November 23, 2004. I went to this meeting um, you know, home group charismatics, but very sincere, sweet people. And, uh, I get there at seven. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. They want to have pizza and talk for half an hour. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it's driving me crazy, but I'm like, okay. So finally they put a chair in the middle of the room. Said, why don't you sit here and we'll lay hands on you. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this in a chair. You're, I'm going to be on my knees. You're just going to have to bend over if you want to lay hands on me. And so for about 20 or 30 minutes, and said, Lord, anything that's in the way between me and you, show me what it is and get it out of there. And I knew that I'd been running for about 20 years. And I saw this sort of uh, like lottery tote board on the highway with the numbers spinning of all the people that should have been in the kingdom. But they weren't because I wasn't doing what God told me to do. You know, I, that number is getting pretty big. And I just wanted it to slow down and start going backwards. And I prayed the stupidest prayer I've ever heard anybody pray. I said, Lord, I don't care what it takes. My business, my life, my wife, my kids, prison, torture, I don't care. I just want to be the most dangerous person to Satan on the planet. And I, I had read about Richard Wurmbrand and Voice of the Martyrs and Brother Yun in China. It's probably responsible for 10 million people getting saved. And Brother Andrew smuggling Bibles in Romania. And I didn't mean it in a competitive way. I just meant that I knew I had a pop gun and I wanted a nuke. And I wanted to go and make up for lost time in as big a way as I possibly could. And he showed me stuff to repent for, some stuff I didn't expect, like the only kid in third grade whose name I remembered that pulled my pants down on the football field that I was still mad at. (laughs) And he said, you got to forgive him. And I'm like, really? We're going that far back? And he's like, yeah. And uh, just some other stuff he wanted to clean up. I don't have – I got friends that are bikers and X this and X that and whatever. I'm just – I didn't have a, a, a resume of drugs and prostitution and, and guns and whatever. I, I just had a lot of self. I just had a lot of me that needed to die. Anyway, so we repent for some stuff. And then about 35 minutes or so, for whatever reason, Andrew felt to stand me up. And he, he reaches down, grabs me by the arm and stands me up. And as soon as he stood me up, this vision started. And it was what they call an open vision because it doesn't matter if your eyes are open or not. It's just going to play, and it just takes over. You can't stop it. It's not a, it's not a dream. It just, it just plays like a movie. And I've never had one of those before, but uh, I'm looking down on the planet, and on the left is the Western Hemisphere in America and Canada, and there's this black, greasy nastiness spreading little tendrils out all over the globe. And instantly I can feel the wrath of God at this. And, and, and I have this like ice pick in my chest, in my heart for three days after that, I could barely breathe and my chest hurt. And on the other side is a reel of faces of little kids, like five, six year old kids whipping by and it goes by real fast and it'll stop. And there's a kid in Africa and he's got AIDS and it's the fault of the black stuff. And there's a kid in China and he's lost and dying and it's the fault of the black stuff. And there's a kid in Appalachia and he's addicted to painkillers and illiterate and, and it's the fault of the black stuff. And I can feel the love for these little kids at the same time as I feel the wrath for these little kids. And I'm wrecked. I'm bawling and groaning from deep down in my chest. And I'm like, oh, God, I had no idea it was so bad. And I know instantly, like you do in a dream, he wasn't mad at homosexuality or liberal Democrats or Hollywood. He was mad at the church because we had the light and it was black and we were exporting it all over the world. And the faces would whip by, and there's a, a little kid in the Philippines, and he preaches just like Jimmy Swagger because that's the way the Americans do it. And, and a kid in Africa, and the pastor said, give me your last chicken so I can get a jet plane and God will bless you. Oh, and, and and I'm feeling the love for these kids and the wrath for what we're doing to these kids, and I'm begging, oh, God, how are we still here? How have you not vaporized the planet for how badly we've handled all this? how much we've turned against each other, how much we've not done what you told us to do, how much we've not cared for the poor. So for about 10 minutes, the vision runs, the faces whip by, and then the screen goes black. And Sheila, I expect you to check with God on this stuff. When people tell you crazy stories, you know, I always check when they tell me stuff. Anyway, the, the screen goes dark. The Lord said, you wanted to see through the eyes of Jesus because I was praying for wisdom and wisdom is just the forest ranger up above the trees in the stand, you know, sees better than anybody else, and nobody's got a better vantage than Jesus. And so I said, oh, Lord, I, I know things are bad, but I don't know what to do about it, and I just want to, you know, show me what it's going to take and how to fix this, and I'll do whatever. He said, you wanted to see through the eyes of Jesus. I showed you everybody. Now you're responsible. The way my mind works, it was a 15-minute vision. Statistically, 150,000 people die every 15 minutes. So were they in there or weren't they? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you showed me everybody? I, I thought that was just a bunch of little kids. He's no, that was everybody. I'm like 6.7, whatever billion people just went by. And he's like, yeah. And I said, but Lord, people died during the vision. Were they in there? Or they? He said, don't worry about it. That was everybody. Well, I know a guy, a friend of mine, he remembers his mom flipping their station wagon when he was a kid. And every little piece of glass, he could watch it bounce and see the car slide, everything in slow motion. So, you know, God, time, okay, fine, whatever, that was everybody. What do you mean I'm responsible? He said, well, you said you wanted to be the most dangerous person of Satan on the planet, so now you're responsible. I said, Lord, uh, you're telling lots of other people they're responsible too, right? It's not just me. He says, what is that to you? Now go. So I understood that didn't mean I'm in charge of anything or I'm the apostle of the planet or anything like that. That meant it doesn't matter what I tell John, you go do what I told you to do, you know, you go as if nobody's coming to help, and if anybody lifts a finger, it's just bonus, but you go as if it depends on you. So I've been you know, 200 miles an hour with my hair on fire for 10, 12 years now to try to do everything I could to turn this ride around, and it doesn't really do much good to go evangelize and tell the lost they need Jesus and then take them into some megachurch that's going to make them twice the sons of hell that they are. We got to change the church. We got to be different, and we got to show them something that will wreck them. And you know, the, the the best evangelism method in the Bible is very clear. In John 17, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays for us, and and he says, "Lord, let them be one, as I and the Father are one, because then the world will know that you sent me." When they are so supernaturally here, take my car, take my house. Black people, white people, doesn't matter. Everybody together, loving like that, the world will go, that has to be Jesus. There's no other explanation for why the Christians are acting like this. And we are so far from that, that it's it's just horrible. After that, I went home, crawled under the bed, and tried to hide. uh, Some people get the gift of tongues when they get hands laid on them. I got the gift of screaming. There was nothing but groaning and screaming for six months. And eventually he gave me something that was linguistic, but there was nothing but crying and groaning. And and still, that's my main thing. That's the burden that I'm under for things to be different. Anyway, I spent about two years after that visiting pastors, going to different congregations, seeing all the different flavors. I figured that if you time it right, you can hit the 8.30 – Old Hymn service for the old people, <laughs> the 945 Contemporary service, and the 1045, you know, whatever, uh, take your shoes off service.
0: Sunday fun day
1: Yeah. And then some have a Sunday afternoon, some have a Sunday night, Saturday night, Wednesday night. You know, I could hit six or seven different congregations a week. And I probably visited 400 or something the first two years. And universally... Uh, had pastors that were sweet, nice men of God that would snarl up and bite you and rip your face off when you push their hot button. (laughs) After two years of that, the Lord said, you know what? They're not going to listen. They're not going to change. They have the most invested in keeping everything the way it is. Go find the junkies and the drug dealers and the prostitutes. They're grateful when I do something for them. And uh, so money came and we, I knew that if This little uh, uppity little town that I'm in, if I went and said I want to start a homeless shelter, nobody would allow it. So I just rented a house and invited my friends over. What are they going to do? And uh, then we rented another one and another one and another one, and uh, it was a wild ride. But uh, somewhere in there, about a year and a half into that, I was at a ministry here in Kansas City that is widely thought of by many as sort of a point of the spear hot ministry that's doing great stuff. But I knew that they had had a very checkered prophetic history and that there had been lots of missed opportunities and lots of stuff twisted there. And I was at the altar at this place and uh, during a service trying to cry for them. And and I was just like, Lord, I know you want to bring revival to Kansas City. I know you want the bride to be restored. They got $150 million. They're trying to build a new campus. They got thousands of people all over the world. They got franchises all over. If they got a better chance of doing this than me, Lord, then use them. And wanted to just cry out and and repent for the mistakes they'd made and the missed opportunities. And I could not shed a tear inside the place at all. And so I realized there's something suppressing my repentance, which is my best thing. And uh, I kind of look around in the spirit and I see on the roof this Chinese parade dragon that's a a silky-covered... Uh, just like in the new year's, new year's parades and stuff where there's legs of people under it. And this, this silk dragon covering all these people and it's just kind of weaving back and forth and it's mocking me. This is my house. There's nothing you can do here. I got them right where I want them. And seeing a demon didn't freak me out. That wasn't a first for me. So I realized, okay, I got a target. I'm just gonna, you know, take my sword of the spirit out and beat the tar out of him and get them free. And as soon as I go to swing on him, the Lord says, leave him alone. I put him here. He's with me. That sort of freaked me out. So I stopped in my tracks and I'm checking the spirit every way I know how and making sure I'm hearing God. And he says, yeah, leave him alone. I'm not ready for him to get off of here. Get out and don't come back. Well, that sent me on a search of what that could possibly mean. And the Lord led me through probably six months of really intensive Bible study, looking at all the verses that talk about how when you go your own way he'll turn you over to a strong delusion and if it's a delusion from god you can't rebuke it in the name of jesus and get it off it's there until the lord pours out repentance and the thing is i've heard i don't know how many dozens of pastors preach about how we're in the loud to see an age about how america especially and canada i suppose all of the west for that matter is the sleepy Church of Laodicea that thinks they're rich and have need of nothing, even though they're really, truly blind, wretched, and naked, and poor. Well, that's a delusion. Uh, When you think you're rich, but you're really poor, uh, that's a delusion. And uh, he says to them that they need to repent, but nobody can repent. Repentance is one of the least talked about, least done things in churchianity ever. Somebody goes down to the altar crying Man, they, they just usher him out of there because that's not fun. You know, you need to give a good, sweet, prophetic word. You, you can't call people to repent. So if the only solution is repentance, but you think you're rich and have need of nothing, then you're never going to repent. So you're caught in this terrible catch-22 where you're doing the dance. See, the, the what the Lord showed me is that Satan has no legs. He has to get us to pick him up and take him where he wants to go. And so he convinces us to chase something anything other than the cross of Christ. And in the Chinese parades, there's always the dragon. There's a guy out front with a pearl on a stick, usually painted like the world, like a globe. And the dragon follows the guy with the pearl back and forth, trying to swallow the pearl. Now, the pastor may think he's in charge, but really he's just chasing whatever the pearl is And the pearl could be a manifestation, it could be a new gymnasium onto the sanctuary, new building campaign, it could be purpose-driven, it could be seeker-friendly, whatever, prosperity, anything. And if they do manage to catch it and, and build a new gymnasium, then they'll make up a new one and they'll chase that for a while and start a new campaign. But anything other than the cross of Christ and brokenness and sin and repentance is going to be a delusion, and sooner or later, God will turn them over to it. And... There's no other way of looking at it except to see that so many people, so much of this thing we call church has been turned over to something else altogether and is dancing this little dance. It weaves and bobs. Some of them have lights. Some of these parade dragons are very elaborate with sequins and silk and, and car batteries with lights on them and all this stuff. But underneath they're just sweaty guys in tank tops with this dragon held together with duct tape and and bailing wire. And you better you better follow the leader or you're gonna tear this thing apart and we're gonna eject you. And if your legs get tired, we'll get somebody else to run the child care program. We'll get somebody else to volunteer for the missions committee. You know, it's just using them up and spitting them out and getting nowhere. We are losing a million people a year in the United States out of church, according to George Barna, statistician, and our, our productivity is horrible. I've got a big book of stats, uh, the annual Christian mega-census. It's, uh, it's, it's called uh, AD 33 to uh, 2200, the summary of the annual Christian mega-census. One of the metrics that they have in there is return on investment, essentially. So they test, they look at the total money spent on Christianity in a country divided by the number of baptisms. Now that doesn't really tell you how effective you are, but it's measurable. It's something people track, you know, anyway. So like in the Congo, it's 2000, some $2,600 per baptism in the United States. It's $1.55 million per baptism is what we spend. If you total all the concerts and conferences and t-shirts and necklaces and outreaches and everything, ski trips, you divide by the number of baptisms, it costs us $1.55 million to get a person baptized. And that includes the Catholics. <laughs> I mean, this is horrible. And that's not even the worst. Japan's over $2 million. Germany's close to $2 million. All of the West is horrible. And, and yet we can go to Mozambique and it's $1,000 per baptism. You know? So it just illustrates the craziness of the dance that we're dancing that's really getting nowhere and not saving people, not resulting in real, in real faith. A lot of people sitting in the pews that have no idea what they really believe may or may not really be saved anyway. So the red dragon I talk about in the book, some of the symptoms of it, the, the, the spiritual pride, the religious spirit, the competitiveness, you know, we're the most authentic, we're the most original, we trace back to Peter and you don't, and, and all this defensiveness that rises up as you get turned over more and more to this thing. It's a horrible, horrible state of affairs. My hope my belief is that uh, judgment begins at the house of God and that this great falling away that we're all talking about already happened in the church. I believe we're there. There will be people that will manifest how fallen away they really are more maybe, but they're sitting in pews fully fallen away already. And I believe that, that the red dragon is the, is the method that he used to kill the bride. Um, because if we are the spiritual body of Christ we have to follow the same path as the physical body of Christ. That means divided into pieces, chunks all over town, bleeding through the streets, mocked, spit on, on a cross and die. Because you don't raise glorified, dressed in white, without wrinkle or spot, without having died first. The bride is nowhere near as dead to self or anything else as she needs to be. And and I think this is the mechanism that the Lord is using to humble us, When the scales fall off their eyes and he pours out repentance and they see the horrifying scale of what we have done, the gold-crusted cathedrals built on the backs of the poor, the million-dollar chandelier in First Baptist Dallas, the the three, four million-dollar pipe organs, whatever, When, when we realize what this looks like from the eyes of Jesus, it's like Mad Max terminator post-apocalyptic skulls everywhere dead wasteland
0: stunning compilation i mean the nasty red dragon spirit sounds like a cornucopia of total iniquity that's destructive and isn't it convenient that all on the heels of that now and of course this ties into one of the titles of your book a absolute jaw-dropping title that caught my attention was who neutered the holy spirit but the Holy Spirit has been, it's like Holy Spirit has left the building. Yeah. Elvis has left the building. No, the Holy Spirit's left the church buildings.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not that there aren't good people in there somewhere. And it's not that there aren't good ministries that are feeding the poor or trying to do the right thing. But the institutional system is completely bankrupt. And the people that I know that are growing That are hearing God, that are hearing the right voice, are like willows in the desert, listening to the internet, out of the system, being raised up by God himself. And, you know, that's really, uh, I've got a a, a video about the book of Micah. And Micah, like most of the minor prophets, is end times prophecy and millennial reign prophecy. And it says, it alternates between the false shepherds and what he's going to do to them. And the flock of his inheritance that he said, these are my the flock of my inheritance that lived alone in the mountains of Carmel, in the woods, fed by my rod, and walk with a limp. Okay, well, sheep don't live alone. They're flock animals. They don't live in the mountains or in the woods. They shouldn't be fed by his rod. You know, your rod and your staff come for me. The staff is the hook that gets them out of trouble. The rod is the baseball bat that he hits the, the tigers with, the lions and the bears. But it says they were aff- that he put them into captivity himself, that he afflicted them himself. They walk with a limp because they've wrestled with God, and that this is the flock of his inheritance. And I have met, we are a gathering place <laughs> of these lonely, broken little sheep that he— prepared, he equipped, and and yeah, man, somehow they, they walk with some kind of limp, either physically or spiritually, emotionally, and he says in the last days, he's going to gather these lonely little sheep together in the fields of Bashan, in the pasture land, in the heartland, and they're going to make the noise as of many men, and kings will be afraid of them, and their holiness will shock the nations, and I believe that's that's part of what we are here uh, and I know other people are other places where these lonely little limping sheep are gathering that have their scales off that are out from under the red dragon. And I, I believe that in the, in the timeline, we are at a place where the bride is dead in the tomb, but it says that his body didn't suffer decay, that, that there are cells uh, popping back to life and little veins and arteries opening up between, between loops and Kansas city and, Uh, You know, between all these places and the new wine, the the unity of his body is flowing and it's not quite time for her to burst out the door dressed in white without wrinkle or spot, but it's coming. And as the Lord himself wakes these people up, opens up these cells and arteries and begins to get everything flowing right, uh, she will come out and be glorious. But I believe it's going to require some sustained tribulation where we don't have time to fight. Uh, about whether uh, to have communion with grape juice or wine. You know, I'm a Christian, I got a can of corn, and I'm a Christian, I got a can of green beans. Great, let's make soup and try to huddle together one more night. You know, I think it's going to require some people be in prison camps, some people to be on a, on a line for a guillotine before they'll lay down their distinctives and hug a Presbyterian or something, you know. <laughs> it's just It's just that bad. One of my books is called Do-It-Yourself City Church Restoration, and I really believe that the only model we have for church is the city church. That is one, uh, Church of Laodicea, Church of Jerusalem, you know, Church of Ephesus, one body per city under Christ, local oversight, local elders, nobody telling them what to do, no pope from somewhere else. I think that's the only model that we have. And uh, while there may be apostles and prophets that travel around and give you a word, ultimately even Paul had to default to the, to the elders in Ephesus. And he could cajole, he could urge them, he could say as a father, I think you owe me this. But still, he wasn't an autocrat. It wasn't about top-down leadership. It was about leading by the brokenness of their lives and, and their servanthood to the to the body. And if we understood that, if you really dig into why the body of Christ in a particular city should be one and, and how it might manifest its oneness, then you could understand the wisdom of God because it doesn't matter if uh, Ephesus belongs to Turkey or the Ottoman Empire or the Roman Empire, uh, it's still Ephesus. And those people have common concerns, uh, common values. That's, they're going to circle the wagons when they're in trouble. And the only justifiable reason for us not to be one is that I'm in Kansas City and you're in Boston, and there's nothing we can do about that. You know, language, uh, race, none of the secondary issues should not divide us eventually we'll all be the church in the new Jerusalem and we'll be that in that one place that we've all longed for with him in the center. Uh, Until then I'm the church of Liberty. You know, we put a website up years ago called the church of Liberty. We know that we're not it. We are part of it, but there are people all over town that we've never met that are in the book of life. And we are brothers and sisters and they're part of the church of Liberty too. And we ought to just start acting like it. What would it take to get the Christians to just meet in the park Bring your fried chicken, bring a guitar, you know, bring your homemade ice cream. Let's just praise and worship the Lord, sing, read the poem the Lord gave you, whatever. But we can't because the Church of Christ won't come if we have instruments. The Baptists won't come if somebody speaks in tongues. You know, the fundamentalist, independent, whatever, mission Baptists won't come if we don't use a King James. If a Mormon shows up, nobody knows what to do. You know, it's it's insane how difficult <laughs> it is to get the people who say, that they worship the guy who begged us to be one <laughs> to actually be one.
0: Yeah. It's
1: supernaturally difficult. And Satan, first of all, wants to convince people he's not real. And then he wants to flip the five-fold ministry so the pastors are in charge and then convince people apostles and prophets aren't real. Even evangelists aren't that fun to be around. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's all whacked. Everything <laughs> is completely whacked. We got to a point where, you know what, we're just going to model it the best we can and see if people like it. And people have been coming here from around the world to uh, visit for a weekend or a month or whatever to just hang with us and see what we're doing and uh, see the farm and see if they can't take it other places. And so I know that we've got people that have rented big houses and bringing in the homeless and ministering to people uh, in Germany and Idaho and, and all over the world from us kind of just being a model of the way it ought to be and just receiving people with open arms and loving them the best we can.
0: Well, and again, going back to the book of Acts, that really is the model. It's not about a building. It's not about the Sunday, fun social clubs. It really is about exactly what you're doing. Boots on the ground, ministering. And what part of that whole great commission that Jesus gave us do people not get? Because let's right. face it, healing and deliverance were two thirds of Jesus Christ's ministry. And yet, wow, it's crickets chirping in the mainstream when you need deliverance.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we got 50% of the church on antidepressants yeah. and anti-anxiety, but nobody's got a demon. Right? It's so difficult. Even to find a deliverance ministry in a city is difficult. It, it's crazy. People call me, and is there anybody you know in Orlando or whatever? And I'm like, no. I, <laughs> I have like five people in the whole country that I trust <laughs> that aren't going to charge you $1,000 to get an hour of deliverance or whatever. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is completely Crazy. And I get that all the time too. People requesting, do you know any deliverance ministers here or there? And you know, and people wonder why Carl and I are so busy. There's so few of them. That's the frightening part of this. And, you know, these people that are charging for deliverance, boy, we're in a lot of trouble there. In the waiting moments, Doug, anything further you'd like to add and then give out how people can get in touch with you and support the work that you're doing.
1: Sure. Well, I can tell you we have people here that they might be 50, but they're an orphan. You know, there's nobody, there's nobody that cared about them. There's nobody that loved them. We have people here that know I love them more than their own mama who threw them out, you know, and I've got some roughnecks here that would take a bullet for me because they know I love them and nobody else in their life really has. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to, you know, uh, it's not because they pay rent. It's not because they help. It's not because of anything. They just—they're just somebody God put in our path and said to take care of them and love them, and we do. And um, we—we're a you know tiny little ministry. We—we we probably have $150,000 a hundred fifty thousand dollar year budget right now, and we're supporting five rental properties, the farm, thrift store, food pantry. We feed a couple thousand people a month at the food pantry. We house fifty people, give or take off and on, we, we get people to their doctor appointments, we drive people around, we do a whole bunch of stuff, uh, plus the conferences where people come in from all over, and uh, just on a real thin budget, but would like to be able to do a lot more and get the word out a lot farther about what God's doing here, and um, you can go to the website fellowshipofthemartyrs.com, there's a little piggy bank thing there where you can donate, if people would like to help, they can mail, uh, or they can uh, use credit card or PayPal or whatever there, all of my books are on the website for free. You can go to books under ebooks. The PDFs are there to download. If you want to order, you know, if you don't want to print it out, you can order a paperback. Uh, it's probably cheaper than an inkjet printer or cartridge. And we have on Kindles or, uh, uh, you know, whatever ebook readers there too and on Amazon. But um, there's lots of videos. We have about 1,200 videos on YouTube. It's uh, FOTM1, the number one. Uh, youtube.com slash FOTM1, and you can go there and subscribe to the channel and get all the updates every time we let out a new video. Our upcoming conference, the next one is September uh, 2nd through the 5th, is Labor Day weekend, is a four-day one, and then October 21 and 23, we have another one at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And our conference is, there's no charge, you just come in on a Friday, we fellowship, show you around on Saturday, help at the farm, kind of be a part of what we're doing, praise fellowship, deliverance, prayer, whatever that night, you know, some more time on Sunday, share some meals together. Uh, One of the things that you see in the book of Acts is a lot of eating. And uh, (laughs) uh, they had to stop drinking and doing drugs and going to the temples and (laughs) whatever else. And I think eating is the thing that the Lord left them with to enjoy each other and to celebrate and to, you know, all things in moderation. But I think we a fellowship around a meal is really what the Lord's Supper was, not uh, an, an ounce of grape juice and one oyster cracker. Right. And we also have a couple of conferences on those weekends, the one in October, where on the Saturday, if you come in for the conference, we also have a Cooney culture conference on Saturday, which is raising rabbits. Uh, rabbits are a uh, tremendous uh, self-sufficiency product you can two rabbits will generate more meat in a year than a cow and converts grain to meat 6 times more efficiently than cows so i get arguments from the messianics that it's an unclean animal and all that but uh i got a feeling during the tribulation they're not going to be so picky and uh so we're talking about uh aquaculture and we'll have conferences on how to raise fish and rabbits and how to be self-sufficient, plant your own garden, and all kinds of stuff as well. People can come and learn all kinds of things.
0: So kind of like off the grid, then.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have a seventy-five thousand watt diesel generator in the cave. We have part of the cave in the back. We have it's twenty acres, and part of the back of the caves underwater. We probably have a hundred million gallons of water. Uh, it's we're not preppers. We're not uh, trying to cloister off, and, and we don't collect guns. We're, You're not but, hunkering down
0: and bunkering down. And-
1: no, no, because God's whatever God's giving us, it's to be there to feed a city. It's to be there to take care of your neighbors. It's to be there to, to take care of others, not to hoard for yourself. And, and uh, what I have learned, you know, Jesus fed a lot of people, Yeah, and he did it with not very much. And I have learned that however fast you give it away, he'll give you more. Amen. And uh, so even if somebody comes and were to hold me up at gunpoint and say, give me all your food, well, there'll be more tomorrow. So take whatever you need. You know, it's not not my problem.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I'd like to really encourage people to check out your books, especially The Red Dragon, but not just that one. There's so many incredible ones there. Now, you've got a newer book out, correct?
1: Well, my most recent book is called uh, The Dad Filter. And it talks about all the ways that we put God in a box shaped like Earth Dad, whether he was never around or he molested us or He whatever. There's lots of ways that people are not relating to God correctly because they have him in, in the wrong mold. You know, you have me back on. We'll talk about uh, deliverance or a bunch of other things or how to hear God better or what, whatever topics that uh, uh, we've, we've covered a lot of stuff in the last 12 years on the website. So I look forward to the opportunity to talk to you some more.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Doug. Folks, that was Doug Perry. His information is linked there today in the bio at weekendvigilante.com, August 8th, 2016. We have a fantastic lineup this week. Tomorrow on the program, John Terrell is back. He's talking about an incredible subject soul damage. You're not going to want to miss that one. Wednesday, Omega Man Radio, Shannon Davis is going to stop by. That's going to be a really good show. Thursday, I have a very powerful pastor, I.D. Guabadia. He is just a powerhouse. That is going to be a very powerful show. We've got just a great lineup this week. I am so glad that you tuned in today. Don't forget, get your hands on Power Prayers, Warfare That Works. And trust me, it works. Pre-order your copy today. The book is supposed to be released late next week, and I'm really excited to get this book in your hands. Don't forget, sign up for the podcast, and do not forget to sign up for my free e-newsletter and be watching for that Android app. That's the latest thing. If you didn't hear at the beginning, like I said, we had our Android application turned down. They turned us down for content So we're just trying to work through that. But we're hoping to have it in the App Store for Android users very soon. And I appreciate your patience. And finally, a reminder that this broadcast is 100% listener-funded, uncut, unplugged, unbiased. We're not an infomercial, and I don't intend to be. So please do become a monthly partner today. You can go to the Donate tab there at WeekendVigilante.com. We will see you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning into the broadcast. Good night and God bless.